Awesome. Even the guest was bobbing his head a little bit. Got to love that intro. I am uh, sober. I am a heathen. I am the sober heathen. I am Scott. Um, coming to you guys with another, uh, I know it's going to be a great interview, um, another great guest. Uh, this is Rich. I met Rich on Twitter, of all places. Um, we just had a few minutes talking. Uh, baseball guy, so he's already a winner in my book. Um, Rich is going to tell a little bit about his story here in a second. He's got 10 years of sobriety. I'm not going to ruin the whole thing. Uh, we're going to get right into it because I think uh, when you have a guest, it needs to be about the guest. Um, but don't forget, we are on Apple. We are on Spotify, YouTube, Rumble. Um, and a couple other places. Check it out. Uh, you're not only supporting me, but you're supporting uh, the the guests that we have on the show that is being brave and coming out and experiencing or sharing their experience, strength, and hope. And that's uh, not easy for everybody to do. And we're doing this for those people that are out there still struggling. So, with that spiel over, Rich, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Hey, Scott, man, I'm doing great. I really appreciate the opportunity, my friend. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. So. So you just give me a little spiel here. Uh, you got 10 years uh, of sobriety. Congratulations. Uh, are we coming up on year 11 or where you, where you at? Just celebrated 10 in December. It's, uh, you know, I, I I feel weird blurting that out sometimes because I do know a lot of people like are, you know, are newer, you know, especially on Twitter. There's a lot of people uh, who are brand new or, you know, a couple months, whatever. Uh, this is not a competition. No. It's uh, it, it's not a race. It's not a contest. Um, I just happen to have been in the game on the positive side of it for for, for a good little bit, and uh, you know life has gotten better. You know, a ten year snapshot of anybody's life, Scott, as you know, is going to include uh, some really bad days in in those sure. ten years. There's going to be some hard stuff, and that has certainly happened with me in sobriety. But um, yeah, been at it a while, and uh, I, I'm really starting to kind of put myself out there a little more right now. Cause I know that people uh, really are struggling and um, I just uh, I, I, you, conversations like the ones that you have on this podcast are so instrumental, not just to people who are uh, considering getting sober, but uh, to, to people like me who have been sober for a while. Uh, this is, is where I can connect. Um, and, and what a treat it is uh, to, to live in an age where through the internet, social media, we can connect like that form almost an instant bond with our, our sobriety and, and our story, uh, but then discover some things about each other and, and, and have some mutual interest. And it's, it's just kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, I get it. Um, you know, I, I started the recovery process in 2018 and obviously didn't have much success up until uh, 2022, but um, seeing 10 years pop up and like, man, how do they do that? It seems like, you know, it seems impossible, but now that I'm got a little, uh, I got a better foundation. I've seen ten years now. It's a motivating factor, and me being the competitor that I am, I always tell people that uh, have more sobriety than me, don't let me catch you. <laughs> don't let me catch you. Exactly. <laughs> you, you know what I mean. So no, at ten years, man. Yeah, and recovering out loud, I think it is important. I think it is when when you can articulate things in a certain way and you can relate to people and tell your story, so they they know it is possible. I think it. I, recover out loud man that's the way that i'm looking at it that's the only way we're going to win this war so uh in your email that you sent me you said uh you were you went into a treatment at 16 18 years old was it yeah so my experience with uh you know with recovery and aa and all that began at a very young age i i i'm trying not to describe myself as a bad kid anymore <laughs> I, I, I would say that um because the, the 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 kid who's back there, who was 14, 15, 16, messing up, uh, causing lots of headaches for my parents and all that, uh, get getting in trouble, uh, you know, getting in trouble with the police, et cetera. Uh, that's part of my story. And even though I wish that I could change some of the things that I did back then and grab that kid by the coat and shake him, um, you know, that kid is important to, to who I am today. And I'm here because the me when I was 15 went through the things that I went through first AA meeting I went to, I was 15 years old. Um, I dropped out of school the day that I turned 16. I was really excited. I was, I was defiant and rebellious and I just wanted to get out. Uh, by the way, my dad was a lifelong teacher at the high school that I dropped out of. Ooh. So that was a, a supreme disappointment. And I have a lot of had a lot of guilt about uh, doing that to my dad and embarrassing him. 
My behavior in the four months that followed my dropping out of high school in September of 1987 became so uh, insane and worrisome to my parents that they were left with very few options as to what to do with me to protect my safety uh, around my drinking and drug use. Uh, drinking alcohol is my drug of choice. Little bit of, you know, a little bit of weed, a uh, little bit of acid, a little bit of mushrooms, but it was always the drinking that was the big thing for me. And they decided to sign me over to the custody of this place called Straight Incorporated. And this was a huge part of the troubled teen industry in the uh, 1980s. The location that I went to was in Stoughton, Massachusetts. Uh, may have some people pop on who watch this or listen to it who are familiar with this place. Uh, it was a behavior modification, faith-based, lockup type of environment and they were using the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous as a big part of that, almost as, as propaganda, if you will, to try, sure. and, to try and brainwash kids. So the rules in there, I mean, it was you were confined, you couldn't leave, you couldn't you could earn the privilege of talking to your parents two times a week, but only for like two or three minutes and with only the supervision of some other person to watch you and listen to you while this conversation happened. And you were not allowed to tell them anything about what was going on in, in that place. You could only well, talk your past behavior and you had to make amends and, you know, work your eighth and ninth steps and so forth. Um, so it was all very new and very intimidating. I did manage to earn the right to go home and I, I made it to those five phases in this program. And on the second phase, you do get to go home, but you're still, going to the building, the warehouse every single day. And it's all day, 12 to 15 hours a day of, you know, group therapy. Um, yeah, this, this, this was a lot. And this was, I had a full 20 months of it and I, I managed to escape once and I got out and I stayed out for a week and they send the God squad after you, which is just <laughs> a collection of the other parents in the program, along with law enforcement, who's looking for a missing person, right? Because you're, you're a minor, uh, where is this person? Well, I was able to stay out for about a week before I got arrested and brought back. And so I had six months. Get arrested? I yeah. did get arrested. Okay. I did get arrested and it was uh, alcohol related. Imagine that. I would. I It was a Friday or Saturday night. I had been drinking and it was with some friends in the park, you know, obviously underage. Um, and the cops rolled up, threw the lights on. Couple of people took off, including me, and I ended up getting arrested by Harvard University police. That's embarrassing when you're arrested by campus <laughs> police. But um, HUPD picked me up, and then I ended up going to the uh, city, the, the city police station, uh, Cambridge. And it's just weird. I I don't know if I've ever said that publicly, but uh, that's what happened. Back in another year, another year goes by or more, and finally, when I turn eighteen. I'm able to get out September 1989. And it wasn't too long after that, that I, that I ended up moving to Atlanta, but right after I got out, I, I actually did stay sober for a little while. I attended a lot of AA, um, had a sponsor, worked the steps and then relapsed, had maybe about two, three years. And Perfect. then, and then I drank, um, you know, so I, I drank and then I stayed sober for a little bit and moved to Atlanta. So I, I, I arrive in Atlanta, a sober person, but uh, relapsed here too. Um, right after the start of the Olympics, it was, uh, it, it was, it was an interesting and exciting time to be a young man in a new city with this big event that uh, had just wrapped up. And I got to be here with the whole lead up to the Olympics. It was very exciting. Atlanta is a, Atlanta is a, is a cool, cool place. Absolutely. And um yeah, so I I was I was here. I was attending meetings, and the Olympics came, and I was living with this woman, and um, you know thought that uh, you know we would get married. I gave her a ring, and it just didn't feel like it was really going to happen. And I kind of knew that it wasn't, and that along with all the other things that are just rolling around in one's head, I think can can easily lead somebody like me back to a drink, and that's what happened. And I actually, after she and I had broken up, it was, it was, 
I lost my sobriety with her. We went out to a bar and drank. And so I drank from then all the way until December of 2012 when I got sober. So that is a, a 16 or 17 year span. Sure. And there are things in my, st- I don't have any DUI in my story. I don't have uh, you know, an episode with the cops and, you know, searchlights or anything like that. What I have is some really, really dark and troubled times. Some times that I really felt alone and that my drinking was just out of control. And it was also the furthest thing from my mind that alcohol was the problem, you know? Sure. Uh, my, my story in, in that time frame involves me being very mad at AA too, very resentful of, of what I had been taught because I felt conflicted. I, I liked drinking, and but it's hard to drink after you know all the stuff of AA. It's really hard. And even some of the things that I've learned about alcohol since I've been sober have been extremely motivating. And now I feel very much solid in, in my sobriety because I understand about what alcohol is actually doing to my body and brain. And I, I didn't really understand that before. But it gets into you and it got into me and it, it took control of my life. Sure. And I just made I just made a little post today. I I, I do want to get to a you know just our, our conversation and just chat back and forth. But yeah. just to give you a little example of of some of the dark places that I went, I had an overnight job working at this radio station, which you know that that was my passion, that was my career for a long time. I loved it, and it's something I'm very proud of. I did get to work in the business that I really wanted to work in when I was a little kid, sure. and I got to I got to perform at a very high level. And it was really rewarding and enjoyable, but on the inside, I was miserable. I got married in 2002, and uh, I'm I'm not friends with my ex-wife, but I have a, I have a, I have a friend, a friendly relationship with her, and I've kind of, I think we kind of nod at each other now that that we just kind of weren't the right people for one sure. another. Um, but I would I was working overnights at this radio station, and I was married, and I would be, get off of work at about 5 a.m. And I would drive home and I would stop at this gas station and I would get a couple of beers and I would go home. Wouldn't I'd leave the beers in the car. I wouldn't bring them out. Wait till my wife is gone and I'd get up and I'd drink. And that was insanity. And I knew that it was insanity. It would be seven o'clock in the morning. She's driving to work. And I'm all of a sudden just beginning my party time at that point. And I can see the insanity of it now. I even saw the insanity of it then, but it was way suppressed down because when I am actively drinking, I that's like the antidote for the truth. Sure. And the truth is that I needed to stop and I, and I just couldn't. And I felt like I deserved to drink, even if it was at seven o'clock in the morning. I felt like it was manly to drink, even if it was at seven o'clock in the morning. And that's what I did. And those couple of beers quickly turned into a six pack and maybe a 12 pack. And then I was getting tequila and I was taking those bottles, Scott, and I was stuffing them into a trash bag and putting them in the trunk of my car so that my wife wouldn't find them, you know, and, and, and saying that out loud and writing a little post about that this morning, like just, I was like, I cannot believe that I, that I behaved that way. You know, I, I made alcohol a priority. I tap danced around it and I shielded. I tried to shield other people from it. But the more I think about it, you know, the, they, they, they knew. They knew. Oh, sure. Sure. I know. Yeah. I know my ex-fiance is going to be listening to this and she's going to hear the part about you stuffing the uh, bottles into a trash bag um, and, and to try to hide it. Um, I, I know she's going to smile when she hears that because that would be my move is to tuck it. No matter what was in the trash can, I'd shove my arm way down in the bottom of it to hide the bottle in amongst the, all the crap so they couldn't be found. I really you know, and one thing, one thing too, you, you said this, when I listened to your story, uh, there was something that you said that you read that I really latched onto. And I know that I kind of skipped over like my childhood. I, I you know, I, I was, I came from a, a decent home, middle-aged uh, or middle middle income family. My parents were both public educators um, back when that was a noble profession. Sure. sure. <laughs> and, um, but something you said when you told your story a couple of, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, you said, I, I just used to lie all the time. I, I just used to lie to impress people and, you know, it wasn't true and I knew it. And, and, 
I had a lot of, of that in my story. I, I wanted to be accepted. I wanted friends, but I never saw the value in the real me. Sure. So I, I would fake things or say things to try to get you to like me. And, you know, honestly, that spilled over into my drinking too. It was really the same way if I'm honest about it. Yep. And it's it's a horrible way to live, I think, for me when I have all these little lies that are set up and I have this group of friends that know this truth about me. <laughs> these guys don't. And it's yep. like, oh, my God, I have got to make this stop. Well, you know, finally, I'll just I'll wrap this up. December 2012, you know, the, the, I didn't get my contract renewed with this radio station that I was working for. I had a terrific job, Scott. I was the afternoon drive host on a, on a rock station. Nice. Uh, here in town, which meant that I could drink all night and still make it to work, you know, in, in the afternoon. And um, the the radio station flip formats, you know, it, it, whatever it is that you're doing, it's going to end. Uh, sure. this, you know, and and I knew that, and I enjoyed the moments, and I and I relished them, but I knew that it was going to end, and it did end. And a couple of months after the radio station was gone, I found the motivation to stop. I wish that I could tell you exactly, you know, why or how. I know that the sun, I, my last drink was on a Sunday. I got hammered two times that Sunday. And I had to be driven home from the bar down the street from where I live at about three o'clock in the afternoon, which is just <laughs> another piece of insanity. Sure. You know, and the number of days that I have that were similar to this one, Scott, are just so many that, that I can't count. I wasted so much time. I wasted so much money, energy. Uh, the 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 potential for me to perform at a high level in my job was always compromised because I was hungover, and I was sad. I was fat. I remember trying on a pair of jeans one time that was a size forty, a size forty. Yep. And I, it was just awful. Woke up on a Monday morning, December seventeenth, twenty twelve knew what I needed to do, wasn't intimidated by AA at all. So that's where I went. And I I started just going to meetings. I said, I need to be, you know, to myself, I need to be out of the bars, away from the liquor store. I need to have stuff to do. I went to meetings. I just went to a ton of meetings and I drank a lot of coffee. <laughs> uh, I smoked a lot of cigarettes. Don't smoke cigarettes anymore, by the way. I'm really happy that, about that. That's awesome. And, um, yeah, so it's the, the, the sobriety, the the, the alcohol free time that I have now. It it has been a journey. It's been an adventure. I in 2018 met a woman. She was a drinker at the time, and in 2019, she stopped with no pressure from me. No, you know, no nudging from me or anything. Uh, she quit, and I won't I won't tell her story, but. Um, you know, we're, we're married now. We run two businesses together. Uh, we're real estate agents. And we just, I just feel so glad that things got back on track. I, I wish I could say, I wish I could say that I knew how or why it's all happened. But I think a big part of how it has happened is me being willing to look at things from another perspective rather than just my own. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of my story right there, Scott. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, I'm not a, I'm not a low bottom person perhaps, but I've ha I've done some really embarrassing things and I've, I've, I've hurt people. I've lost friends because of my drinking and my poor behavior. And I've thrown away so much money and, uh, you know, just because I have 10 years doesn't mean that I don't have a story. You know, I got, a, I got a story, I got some pain and, and the pain that somebody's feeling as they're approaching uh, what is what they hope is their day one, or if they're in early sobriety, like I relate to that. The conversations that are going on Twitter that we see so often, there's some incredible uh, conversations going on on there. And when I see what people write when they're early on, but like I had a bad day today, but I didn't drink. I remember that, you know, and I have bad days right now and I don't drink either. And sure. that means that I have some connection with that person. Yeah, that's a well, beautiful, beautiful thing. But ten years of sobriety, you not drinking today is just as important as them not drinking on day three. I think you know. Um, oh crap! I had a thought and I, I lost it. Oh oh oh. Um, 
Nope, I lost it. It's gone. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think Twitter is is great because that that healthy reminder um, to see that and and get those refreshers because you could drink today. You know, uh, I could go out and, and we could drink today. So to th- to look at it as you know, you got X amount of time. That shit show is going to pick up right where it left off the moment that you put that bottle to your lips. From my experience, and you know, and and hearing um, from from other people. Um, so, man, I wrote down a lot of things, a lot of good stuff. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you know, you got put into this facility, and it, it's really weird. They called it. Uh, they called Straight. it a corporation. Straight Incorporated. Incorporated. Ah, that is terrible. That that's just incorporated yeah we're gonna fix you in then in a corporation that's fantastic so what i wanted to ask you about that is there's a lot of discussion about being pushed into recovery but we all know that you need to want recovery so you you got pushed into this thing but you did you got something out of it to remain sober for a few years right Mm -hmm. so i guess if you have any thoughts on the push versus want and and what you think kept you sober for those couple of years, was it just the understanding of the disease itself? What do you think it was that kept you sober for a couple of years? You know, that's an interesting question. I mean, like it, it may have been me just going through the motions and wanting to please people, honestly, you know, sure. like, it, or it might've been that I, that I latched on to somebody there and just found like a little friendship. And I was like, well, I, well, these people have to be my friends because they're here in this room. And whereas if I'm outside of this room, everybody can just walk away from me. But if I'm here, they have to listen to me. Sure. You know, I, I don't know how much of that is there, but I have very much been guilty at times in my life of just going along with things. And a lot of that I really learned in that place because you have to go along in order to get along. Sure. Um, but, but to the bigger point though, of like, you know, can you be pushed into recovery? I, I, I just don't, I really don't believe that. I mean, maybe that can work for other people. I know that there's, you know, interventionists and people who try to get people to go to rehab or, you know, you need to go to a meeting or I want to give you this advice or you need to take a look at your drinking. None of that stuff worked with me. And I think that it is such a sensitive, it it, it is almost, I think, as uncomfortable. and, and, And I often forget this too as I engage in some of these conversations on Twitter, it is so difficult for people to open up about this. It is like, I put it in the same category as talking about your sex life. Like it really is something that's private. It's private and it's personal. And there's a lot of shame uh, that surrounds it. And I just don't think that you can get out a defibrillator and just make somebody, you know, receive this information. I think that for me, I I had to want it. I had to reach that point. And I'm not saying that for me, there's a rock bottom. I think rock bottom, if I had one, is a period of about five or six years where my life was really just out of control and the drinking was so consistent and insane. But I, I needed to make that decision on my own. And when I woke up that Monday morning, I felt so, I felt ashamed enough of of my behavior the day before that 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 I was motivated to do something about it. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think I, I I think um I think that's exactly what it is. It has to be the want. You have to want it for yourself. You have to care enough about yourself. You have to create something, you know, you have to want to create something that you don't want to lose. And and a lot of times I think people hear that um you know they get really hurt by that because oh well I'm not good enough for you to quit drinking the kids aren't good enough for you to quit drinking. And that's not the case. If it was that simple, nobody would be addicted. Um, I think you kind of mentioned it when you, when you said you had those, those couple of years after you got out of there, you were kind of doing it for other people or going through the motions, you know? So you're, you're doing that for your AA people and it didn't work. It wasn't until you made that decision yourself. I'm done, you know? And yeah, you know, I, I do agree too. It's really hard for people to talk about this stuff. And I think that's why it's so important that I've made the decision that I'm going to talk about everything. I'm going to get on and I'm going to do a half an hour podcast about this was my thinking today. Um, you know, I don't want to do this recovery shit anymore. You know, I want to drink. I'm going to be as honest as I can because I think it's going to help me. It's going to be a uh, hold accountability uh, to me to continue to do what I'm doing because I am a dead man if I, if I don't. I mean, you don't get narcan as an alcoholic 
without being in a pretty bad way. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, to, and just to go with that too, you had mentioned about uh, rock bottom. I think one thing that everybody needs to realize too, if they're listening to this and they're, they're, they're wondering, well, I'm not that bad yet because that's almost, that's what almost killed me going to AA meetings and saying, I'm not that bad yet going to treatment the first time and looking at the dude trying to climb into the dryer um, because he thinks it's like a treehouse or something. I'm not that bad yet. I can keep going. Cause I'm not that bad yet. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with somebody one time and it's like, you know, when you have somebody that was raised a billionaire, like a child or raised a billionaire and their dad or their parents didn't buy them for Ferrari, they bought them something else. That's the worst day of their life. Well, that's equal to our worst day of their life. I mean, it sounds stupid, but it really is because you, the worst day of your life is the worst day of your life. It might not be somebody else might look at it and say, well, I wish that was my worst day, but you you feel the same way about it. You know what I mean? So I, I try not, I try not to, you know, you know, I really want people to know that, you know, your worst, your worst life is that. And it is just as equal to mine, just because I have four OWIs and I've spent some time in jail and, and another person has it. That doesn't mean that their life didn't suck as bad as mine to them. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that's important for people to know that, you know, if, if you're sitting here and you want to recover and you're looking at it and you're saying, I'm not that bad yet, don't let that be the the little carrot that you go chasing because you will get there as if you keep chasing that carrot. Yeah. You know, the program, the Alcoholics Anonymous is filled with so much wisdom, you know, and I understand that the, the program is not for everybody. I, I understand that. I understand that people are intimidated by the spiritual nature of it. And I don't go to meetings anymore. I, 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 I'm, I won't say that I'm not that I'm done with AA. Like if my, my youngest brother is in the program and if if he were in town or, you know, we were up up north and he invited me to go to a meeting. I'd go. I'd go to a meeting with him. I, I kind of look at it almost like as I'm not saying this to be disrespectful. Like almost like Catholicism. Like you know, if I walk into a church, I'm, I'm going to go like this. I'm just going to do it. And I could go to an AA meeting and I could identify myself as an alcoholic. You know, because I don't know. I just have been to a million AA meetings. I'm not uncomfortable with it. I know that the, that word turns a lot of people off, but. You know, when a new person, when somebody's considering like, oh, man, do I have a drinking problem? Do I have a drinking problem? And then they get on Instagram and they look up, you know, sober life or sober curious. And they see all of these pictures of these, you know, women in their 30s on the beach, you know, holding these signs. I'm 30 days, you know, six months sober today. That guy is not going to relate to that. You know, what he's going to relate to is you. And me, you know, yep. and the sharing and the sharing that we're doing right now, like, yeah, is being sober and being really successful and good looking and losing weight and having a great life and a great career and all that. Is that fun? Yes, I want all that. And you know what? I'm getting all that because I've been busting my ass and staying sober for a long time. But to the person who's hurting, right, they are going to relate more to something that you have to say when sure. we're real, when we're real talking and we're saying like, look. We were here, but we're he we're here now. We've come this far, but we haven't forgotten where we were. And that's part of how we get to stay here and keep moving up. It's because we keep right. that fresh. For sure. I agree. And I don't attend as many AA meetings. Um may, maybe as some would say I should. Uh I do go to some of the other meetings that they have around here that uh, aren't, you know, AA affiliated. Look, they have to they have to go. Th- uh, this is. Just, I'm just going to give you my own opinion for a second. They have to go through. They have to read the twelve steps. You know how it works. They have to read. Um, you know the preamble and all that stuff. That's just the way AA is set up. And for me, sometimes you get through that, and twenty minutes have gone through the meeting, and the parts that are important, are, I think, are the sharing. You know, and uh, it does get a little bit redundant. But I personally, too, I love the program. I think it is great. I I do. I have. I cannot even fathom. I can't understand how Bill W. came up with this in 1930, and it still is very relevant today. Um, you know the whole the whole part where he's beating on the bar and he's like, "How did this happen again?" You know, I think that is such a huge thing because it can happen that quick. So AA is so useful. It, I got turned off to a lot of meetings, too, because it became uh, a church service, mm-hmm. and that's not what it's supposed to be. That's on the people that are running the meeting to kind of, you know, you got to let people 
thank whoever they're thankful to. I'm not saying that, but when it becomes a sermon and, you know, I remember one time I was in a meeting in early recovery and the lady is like, well, I'm just going to say it. Uh, you know, God, Jesus is the answer. And, you know, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you're doomed. You know what yeah. I mean? Just keep that to yourself. But I also do believe, and I, I brought this up in podcast before, you go to an AA meeting, you can find something. I remember a speaker meeting when I was in treatment. Worst speaker I've ever heard. But right at the end, he he said this quote. And I was like, wow, that quote was amazing. You can find something, you know, but it, it goes back to the want. So I guess... AA is great. I agree. Um, I will go to meetings when it presents itself. There's one here in my hometown. Now that I'm back in the hometown, I went to a couple of weeks ago. I'll probably go again uh, this Thursday just to just to be with the guys. It's something to do, get out of the house because I, I don't have that option. But anyway, I'm rambling on now. So uh, one thing you said early on, um, maybe uh, retouch on this and add to it if you'd like. Um, you said, you know, you're a kid, you weren't a bad kid. No, absolutely not. And I don't think any of us are really bad, bad. We're good people doing bad things. That doesn't make you a bad person. I did a lot of bad things. Uh, I said a lot of things that I shouldn't have done. I stole money. Um, obviously, the lies are just, uh, you can't even, I wrote that on here too, but we'll come back to the lies and the weight that I feel lifted off me living an honest life, that pressure and you know, trying to remember everything is just, is just so relieving. So, so yeah. Yeah. yeah it's uh, not having to remember everything and having some integrity about my life now is amazing. And I think like, I would say that 90% of that integrity that I have comes from removing alcohol almost exclusively. Like there's other work that I did to better myself but getting rid of the alcohol, stopping drinking was able to like lift the veil up. And I was able to see this other world that was out there through lenses that were clear. But I also got a good look at myself. Like, man, there's some stuff that I'm not doing right either. Like I need to make some uh, corrections uh, with what I'm doing. And, you know, fortunately that's, that's, that's happened. I, you know, back to the AA thing really quick. I, I, I left this one group. Um, I was going there for probably four, four years. Nice group, good group of people. But right around the election in 2016, things just mm. started getting bananas in that meeting. A lot of politics got inserted into that meeting. I started to... I, I probably am very opposite of the political beliefs of the people in this particular meeting. So there was, there was that level of uncomfortability, but I'll listen to anybody who's, who's got a drinking problem who wants to talk about it. Sure. But it just became too overwhelming. And I, and I left, I ended up finding an agnostic meeting that I really liked and the people in there were cool. And the guy who I uh, used uh, asked to be my sponsor, he was one of the kind of trustees, stewards, if you will, of, of the meeting. It was him and his, him and his husband who took care of this meeting. And they were great because they made sure that politics stayed out of it. Right they made sure that people spoke from the I position rather than the we position and that there wasn't any lecturing in there. And there was a good sense of camaraderie among the, you know, or uh, 11 or 15 regulars who went to that meeting. And I, I just, I ended up outgrowing it. I, I, that might sound like a rude thing to say, but I just, it, it didn't resonate with me well. uh, as much over time. So sure. I stopped going and I met my wife and, and she, and she got sober and she got sober a different way than I did. She used an online pro an online program, you know, an online community. And there are just such a ton of different ways to, to, to get into being sober. And none of them are incorrect. If the result is that Bingo. you better. Bingo. Yeah. And it goes back to honesty with yourself. If you're honest with yourself and you don't want to go to the meetings because you, you you've, you've moved past that. They don't seem to be helping like they did. And you're not going to meetings because that's how you feel. And you're going to pursue another pathway. That's great. If you're lying to yourself and saying, well, I'm not going here because this is just too religious. I'm not, I'm not going to this meeting because you know, this is dumb and I'm not like these people. You just got to be honest to why you're not going to meetings. And I I'm with you hundred percent. I don't go to a bunch of meetings. I know if I had a sponsor today, They'd be like, dude, you got to go to meetings. 
because that's what they know. But I, I need to be doing this. I need to have conversations. I need to be, you know, on Twitter and, and, and reading what people are saying. I, that's what's working for me right now. And that's what I'm going to do. And I, I, that's a great point that you made. If it's working for you, then that's all that matters. There is no clear cut way to recover. There are many, many ways to do it. Some people just say, eh, I'm done. And God bless them. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know how you do that, but you know, that, as long as you don't drink today, however you did that, get it. Yeah. I, some people, I know people who have done that. There are stories of people who read a certain book, some piece of literature that just resonates with them and then bang, they're done. Wasn't like that for me. And it continues to not be like that. The thing that keeps me going in my sober life, my alcohol-free life, whatever, whatever we choose to call it is connection with people. Like I don't have a sponsor, but I have two guys in my life who I talk to deeply sure. at least, at least once a week. I mean, we talk every day, but I'm talking like vulnerable for real stuff about what's really going on with me. Yep. That little, that little back and forth that my wife had that, that didn't go so great the other day. I might rehash that with him and just say, you know, look, I, I know where I'm wrong. You know, I, I know. Sure but I just want to talk about this and work through this. Like that is a huge piece of my sobriety is just that honesty and that accountability. The fact that I have a wife who can talk, who I can talk to about this sort of stuff. Like she's rational. She wants me to win. I want her to win. It's not a competition. We're on the same team, but you know, things happen and we can work through those things. And that's because I don't drink anymore. I have, I have a little extra, you know, not a superpower, but I have, I'm not inhibited, inhibited by this roadblock in front of me. That's telling me all these lies. I just have the regular ingrown lies of whoever I am, you know, of just my upbringing and stuff. Sure. Sure. And I, I, my favorite quote of all time is connection is the opposite of addiction. I, uh, you have a good connection. I have a friend that I can talk to about it. I have multiple friends, uh, but I have one in particular that, it, uh, that I can go to with anything and he's going to give it to me straight. Yeah. He's going to say, dude, you're kind of being ridiculous. You know what I mean? And that's, uh, that's so crucial. And I, I, I never get mad at him. I, I, I know where he's coming from and it's a place of love and, and caring. And, you know, I, if I don't understand what he's saying, you know, I'll go meditate on it, but yeah, it's absolutely uh, vital we to have, have that connection. So my wife and I, and also another couple of friends of mine, we, we kind of have this little saying and that's, you know, may I have permission to speak freely, you know, oh. may I have permission to speak freely. And like, when I say that to, to, to my friend and he says, yes, it's not my turn to judge. It's not, he's not giving me the green light to judge him and to size him up upside down <laughs> and, and vice versa, by the way, he'll, he'll, he calls me out too. And I love it. It's, we're giving each other permission to just kind of call balls and strikes on each sure. other. Right. Like yeah. that didn't look like it was over the plate, my friend. <laughs> like it was outside. And I just want to go to the replay and have you look at this because I, I think that there's something that you're missing. And when that conversation is happening, that's when the growth is happening. Sure. You know, and it's not ever from a sense of like superiority or like, you know, I'm better than you or you did this wrong. It's not accusatory in any way. It's more like, look, dude, I, I want to see you win. I, I know you're better than this. Right. You know, and those people who call you out, who call me out, those people have our best interest in mind. Yeah, right. No, and that's great. Yeah. And then it reminds me of the relationship I have with my buddy. I'm laughing over here because it just immediately brought me back to my ex-wife and she would start thinking Scott, I'm not trying to be mean, but insert extremely mean comment. <laughs> yeah, so it obviously didn't have that kind of connection, uh, communication, you know, that, that open lines of communication there. That's why I was laughing so hard about that. But friendship is beautiful, man. It's like, it's camaraderie. It's life, you know, like I'll get on the phone with, with my good friend and we will laugh for an hour to the point of where we have tears coming down our faces and then there's the next conversation might be one of the most vulnerable and productive and real conversations ever, sure. you know? And I just like that. If, if I don't have that in life, what is, what is life worth? I'm, I feel so lucky that I have the friends that I do and the wife that I do who it's just, that, that's a gift. That's a gift. 
It really is. And it's it's good it's a good way to evaluate things too, because if somebody's listening to this and saying, Man, I don't have any friends that I could be completely vulnerable with. If I told this person everything, what you gotta remember too, it doesn't have to be necessarily one person that you are completely vulnerable with. You might be able to talk about this person, about your physical um what you don't like about your physical self. And then you might be able to talk about this to this other person about your your mental health. Um as long as you can get it all out. You know, I, that's that, that's the big thing, and I, I think you just need to need to find that. I think that's very important in recovery. And some people, for some people, that's the groups. Some people, that's a sponsor. But it's it's not for everybody. You know, you know, and it, it's not for everybody, right? Like those things aren't for everybody. But friendship and that camaraderie is not the same in every instance, right? Sure. And, and I'm guilty of looking at other people and being jealous of like, oh, look at them and their group of friends. They're so tight and they have all this fun and they're going out and doing this. And like, I'm not included in that. And I, I would sit there in the past, even as even in sobriety, I'd be like, it would run through my head. I'd be like, man, I'm jealous of those people. Like, I just wish that what what are they doing that makes them look so happy, you know? Other people have nothing to do with me. You know, I, I'm the only one who who's doing this. And if I want something that they have, you know, the onus is on me to be to, to go out and get it. Sure. You know, and I can't just conjure it up overnight. I have to, you know, extend an olive branch to somebody, take a risk, you know, go out, uh, have a conversation with somebody, open up, develop a friendship. And as an adult, adult friendships are hard. It's hard to make connections with people as an adult, because when you're 13, 12, you're around each other all the time. You're riding bikes, throwing baseballs and hanging out and everything. And and, and you're there. But as an adult, it's life, it's busy, it's work, it's kids, it's all this other stuff. And, you know, sometimes that gets put, put to the back burner. But for me, it's like, I got to have that stuff on the front burner as yeah. much as I can. Yep. Yeah, I, I know the days that I don't talk to my buddy and I don't talk about the people that I care about or I'm connected with or had that connection with. I, I feel worse. I spend a lot more time down um, and 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 isolated if, if, by not reaching out to them. I always feel better after I do it, even though I can do my damnedest to talk myself into not sending it. I don't feel like talking right now. About it. It's not the right thing to do. Um, something else you said in there, too, um, that I think is really important. Um, you said that it's not it's your responsibility how you feel about someone or something. And I think that's very important because, you know, if somebody hurts your feelings, it's going to happen. We're human, right? Somebody's going to hurt your feelings, but when somebody does something and how you feel about it, that's on you. Do you, I mean, if you sit there and dwell on it and stew on it, you know, you got to find a way to, to get around that. And I've been reading, I've been doing some more certifications online and it's been talking about that quite a bit. Like, you know, um, letting outside factors influence you you are responsible how you feel and how you react to something you know and it's easier said than done i'm not sitting here being like oh yeah well if this woman pulls my heart out and stomps on it i'm not going to feel hurt you know what i mean i i get that but to to realize that uh, to be able to turn the station i guess if you will uh, and 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 go about something else and not dwell on it i think that's very important yeah uh you know i if somebody hurts my feelings, you know, my feelings are my responsibility. And if I want what they have, I do have to go and, and work uh, to, to get it. And it might not be that I want a friendship with them. Or my, the, what I want might not be with them. It might not have anything to do with them. But um, now I'm now I have a couple of thoughts running away from them. <laughs> oh, I know what I was going to say. So there's great conversations on Twitter about uh, sobriety and recovery, and that's beautiful. But another category that I follow, another topic that I follow, stoicism. How unbelievable is that? And I didn't really come to that until maybe, you know, four or five years ago. And I can't say that I'm some wise practitioner of these things, but I've curated my feed to where I do see some Marcus Aurelius quotes here and there and some Seneca. Yeah. and you know, and these things are just great launching points for conversation. And they really do have the power to reach me and make me think about things in a different way. And 
the Stoics talked a lot about um, about about gratitude, about savoring the time that we have, and how we're going to be gone, and we don't get to choose when that happens, and it could be a lot sooner than we think. Sure. So why don't we just try to enjoy it? You know, there's a lot of wisdom in the things that are really simple. And I think the Stoics get that right. And I think it ties so much of it, I think, ties in perfectly to what to how I try to live my life as a sober man. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Reading the Poetic Edda um, has been one of my favorite reads. You know, Odin talks about the wise man sits and listens. Mm -hmm. You know, the fool is always out there, always got something to respond to. Yeah. And I talked about this in a podcast about, you know, living for the day in the future right now, because it's not guaranteed. It is unreal. And I can recognize it here. So I'm I'm hoping that I can uh, make my mindset a little better. It's like, you know, I, I'm 41. So, you know, I'm going to, you know, most people are retiring when they're at 70 and I'm, I haven't been working for a couple of years because I've been diving into recovery. I couldn't hold the job because I was too drunk all the time, you know? So it feels like I am so close to being too old to work, but finding a job and getting back on my feet seems so far away. And it yeah. just, our mind, it's hard an expression, but I mean, we're fucked in the head a little bit. There's a, how to unfuck your brain is a good book too, by the way. And and yeah. it talks a little bit about that. Yep. Well, it's just so weird the way, like, I think you get inside of your head in very much the same way that I get inside of my head where I like, I feel like I start something and I'm going towards it and then I get veered off, distracted in some way. And then whatever the goal is, I'm like, well, I'm just going to give up. I can't do it. Somebody else has already done it, right. you know? And that right there, is what I want to break. Mm -hmm. I can't, I cannot say, uh, Scott, that I've cracked that code in, in myself. Okay. I know that I'm close. I know, I, I feel like I can see it. I feel like it's around the corner, but my propensity to just give, to give up on something because I don't know how, because I don't understand yeah. how to do it. Right. In, in a professional way, or like, I can't get this job. I can't do that. Somebody else is going to be better than me. So why should I even try all every single last bit of that is in my head. Now I there, I've gotten some of it out sometimes, and then it'll come back. But I'm like, I'm on a mission to to learn how to deal with these things. Because that to me is just as much of a barrier to getting to where I want to go as alcohol would be these sure. destructive, awful thoughts inside of my head that just it's embarrassing to say this out loud and, but it's the truth. And this is a podcast that is built on the truth. So I'll say it like, I think the worst thing is about myself, you know, and the conversation that is going on inside of my head sometimes is so freaking unhealthy. And I opened up to my brother about this the other day, you know, because I, I and my brother is a very, my youngest brother, he's your age. He's 40 in his early forties. He's thin. He's really good looking. He's taller than I am, you know, and like now I'm almost at the same weight as he is, you know, and I took a picture of myself the other day, like from the side. So he could see that my gut was gone. And I, and I said unto him, he lives in San Diego. And I was like, hey, you know, I just want to let you know that I've been really disciplined and working really hard to to, you know, reach this goal. And I, I finally just hit 180 the other day. And I'm just like amazed, you know. So like, if I'm able to do this, if I'm able to discipline myself and do that, I have no excuse to why I can't discipline myself and to do other things, both within my work and within relationships. And I didn't get sober to live in this world of like, you know, I got to fear the disease. I got to worry about the alcohol that's around the car. I got to stay away from the liquor stores. You never know when I might sleep. All of yep. that's true. Okay. That is all true for me. Yep. But to become the better man that I want to be, you know, I, I have to overcome some of, some of this other stuff. And that's, and that's me being real with you right now is that I just am sometimes riddled uh, with self-doubt. So, you know, it, and, and I am like, it's like having 70,000 people. Like it's like having a football stadium full of people telling me that I can't do it or laughing at me. That's what Good. it feels like sometimes. That's yeah. You know, yeah, man. Yep. And this isn't external, it's internal. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. And uh, I just, I, I, that, that's, that's what I'm working on. That's, that's the real rich talking to you right now. Hell yeah, man. I appreciate that. And, and you're absolutely right. Uh, we have something like 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day, like the people in the stadium that you talked about, how many of those are negative toward ourselves. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, uh, the reading I did when I read that, it said, you know, would you let somebody else talk to you the way that you talk to yourself inside your head? Probably not. Um, just, and it's, and it's so important. You know, I, I did a podcast where I talked about making your bed, like to start your day on a positive note is so crucial in, in recovery. I know it is for me. Um, the days that I don't start on a positive note, those, those negative thoughts come in and they'll compound real fucking quick. Pardon my French, but this is an adult podcast. So, uh, yeah, they'll pile up real quick. You know what I mean? Um, and it's in those little things, you got to retrain your brain, you know what I mean? And that's, that's what recovery is all about. And, and even with 10 years of sobriety, you're still working on it, but that shouldn't deter anybody. You're able to do it. You know, all the, all the negative thoughts and things that you've had over the last 10 years, you found a way to not drink. And that's a victory. That's, that's 10 years of victories. So I think that's, I think that's the important thing to look at for sure. When you talked, uh, cause I did listen to that episode where you talked about making your bed. And that's a big thing in some of the hardcore AA worlds, right? Where it's like, you know, hit your knees when you wake up, hit your knees before you go to bed, make your bed, all those things that like some of those like diehard, unfiltered cigarette smoking old time, (laughs) right? Like, but there's wisdom in it. Like, where's the wisdom? The wisdom is all around us. There's wisdom in the making the bed because it's a discipline. It's a practice. It's. I make the bed. What I'm telling myself with that act is I am worthy of returning to a bed that's made. Sure. You know, I'm worthy. I'm worthy of having the space that I occupy be neat and clean and to look yeah. good. Right. Yeah. And, it, and in my drinking, it was not that way. It was not that way at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like three or four days after I did the podcast, I was, you know, I was making my bed before the podcast and then I made it after the podcast and like three or four days later, I didn't make the bed and I crawled into the bed and the sheets are all screwed up and I'm trying to cover up. It was a chillier night and I'm like, God dang it. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Like if you just would have practiced what you preached, you, this is your fault, dude. You should have got up. You know what I mean? I'm all mad at myself for not doing it, it's, but it makes a huge difference, you know? And then, then I was awake because I was, beating myself up for not making my bed, but I was, I was more laughing at myself than beating myself up. Uh, but yeah, those little things, those little things are huge. And and every little thing that you can build in a positive way in early recovery is, is, is extremely, uh, extremely important. Uh, I won't keep you too much longer, man. We've, we've been going at it for a minute. I just wanted to, uh, you know, I asked one time when I had a guest on and and, I, and I'm not going to do it anymore, but, but I asked like uh, for like an embarrassing moment. I, that's that's too personal for it. I think I think a better way is I will ask you if you're willing to to recall one of your worst hangovers or one of your worst detoxes to kind of illustrate, you know, like me, I've talked about looking at the clock and dry heaving, you know, puking to the point where I'm dry heaving and pouring sweat and wanting to die, you know, and I had a hallucinate. I don't think I talked about that, but I had a hallucination so bad. I was in a dream. I woke up in a dream and I couldn't wake up. I'll have to talk about that in another podcast. But if you're willing to share something, you know, about a bad detox, well, please feel free. Um, I remember this one night, you know, a lot, a lot of my drinking took place in this five or six year span that I had a really good job working for this radio station. And there was a concert at one of the big arenas up north of the city. And it was a Sunday night. And the pregame hosted by the radio station was at this bar. And I was there. I was there hosting it. And, you know, I'm on the clock. I'm getting paid. Well, the concert starts. And I stayed at the bar. And I proceeded to get myself sideways at that bar. Mind you, I'm representing the company that I work for during this. Sure. Um, I don't remember a lot of the night. I, the little bit that I do remember the last part of was somebody telling me that I needed to sit down and and calm down and not be so loud. And that I was saying some things that could really get me in trouble. I do. I, I recollect that. Sure. Um, I woke up at the family of the guys who owned the bar's house 
and I woke up to, you know, his wife knocking on the door and it had to be like, I don't know, nine o'clock in the morning, I think. And, you know, she said, you know, I, I have some coffee. Do you want any? And I mean, it was just an embarrassing moment sure. for me, uh, drinking professionally, everything. Uh, I, I just, that was, that was a big fat embarrassing moment, which I could have lost my job for, honestly. I don't know what I did. Um, that's just one incident though. There's, there's been a ton of those. Sure. Well, and it's, it's great that uh, you didn't lose your job over that. I, I, uh, I was representing the company uh, with my boss, taking out some clients, uh, working in Dow chemical up here, a huge plant. Well, everybody knows what Dow is. Mm -hmm. Um, And we went out to dinner before a hockey game and I pre-drank so much by the time the food came, I was eating, I was picking my steak up and eating it with my bare hands, like a cookie. So my hands are, you know, and so I'm sitting there and the customers are looking at me. And the next thing I remember is my ex-fiance, she's picking me up and I'm crying, you know, and I got called in the office. We, we talked about it. We laughed about it, you know, and, and luckily I didn't lose my job. I ended up losing it ultimately because of alcohol anyway, but it's a, there's good people out there. And, and by doing this and talking about it, uh, you know, people are going to get more and more um, grace, I think. Um, so I, I'm really appreciative that they gave me that, that little bit of grace allowed me to work a little bit longer, but yeah, I, I get it, man. <laughs> hey man, I'm just, I'm glad that we both made it to this moment and we're both right here and we're doing okay. If I can ask you a question, what's uh, what's happening with the podcast? I, I, I have to say, I really admire uh, what you do and how you put yourself out there. I'm not trying to heap a bunch of, uh, you know, praise on you, but sure. I think what you do is really important, fostering uh, these type of conversations, allowing people a space to do it. Uh, what's your goal and, and what's coming up? Oh, man. Well, I <clears throat> I spent some time in jail, so I got some episodes planned out and I, I'm trying to decide on what the best way to go is do it. It's kind of once a week, maybe twice a week right now, as far as putting it out, as far as content, I don't want it to get dry. I would do a guest every single day if I could. Um, my ultimate goal for the podcast is just to be a continuation of what I want to do for a living. And that's, uh, oh, and I wanted to ask you about that. You said you're a coach. Um, the recovery coach, I think is a, is what I'm working for right now. Um, I think that's, I think both are going to be important. I want the podcast to be something, you know, I, I want, I want the podcast to reach more than, you know, 70, 80 people. I want it to be something because I think there's something to be said about everyday people coming on and, and sharing their stories. I mean, I, I, I love reading about Gerard Butler and, and um, what's his face that played Iron Man. I love reading those stories about celebrities, but everyday people connect. I connect with them more, you know? Um, and so I, I, you know, when my cousin Crystal came on and she shared her story, you know, I know it helped her sharing, but it, this helps me. And in and and AA, they'll tell you it's a selfish program. You know, it, it's a different kind of selfish. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I have you on to help you share your story, but hearing what you have to say helps me in, in turn. And by me doing the podcast um, and, and getting my things out there, I feel 100% better every time I do it. So what do I want from the podcast? I want to be successful, but whether it becomes successful or not is irrelevant. I'm going to continue to do it. Um, and uh, it's going to be something, you know, at one point I am going to convince my ex-fiance to come on here and, and, and have a chat with me. And we're going to be as open and honest as we can. She's working on it. She said she's trying to work up the courage. And I think that 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 podcast is going to be so helpful for her and I and so many other people out there. And that's what I want this to be. I don't edit these things because it's not authentic. I feel like when I had that brain fart and I couldn't remember where I was going, that's just what it is. It's going to stay out there. Yeah. Would I like to improve the quality? Sure. But uh, but yeah, for the podcast, you know, yeah, I have hopes and dreams. Um, I got the Facebook page. It's growing a little bit. Twitter's doing pretty good. Um, but I. I would like to spread the message because I, I, I do think, um, I mean, I, I, I haven't met you for all that long, you know, and you said you're getting something on my podcast and, and that, that just means so much to hear that. Yeah. And so I think you can hear the same thing from a hundred people, but that 101st person that says it, it can click. So I'm, I'm hoping to be that 101 for as many people as I can. Well, you know, it, it's just, it's so wild uh, and so awesome that we have this way of communicating with each other and that we're able to connect in this manner. And, you know, I, I'd love to know 
like what you're doing with, you know, the coaching and, and your goals for that, because what part of what I want to create inside of the inside of the coaching and, and even outside of it is I just want there to be a place where people can get help or just have a conversation and talk sure. or, or listen to content that's going to help them. Um, that isn't like, that isn't fake and that isn't real right. fluffy and like, you know, Hey, I got six months today, you know, I'm mm-hmm. on Instagram. Look at how great my life is, you know, cause look, there are times in early sobriety where life is just not great. Right. And there are times years on where sobriety has not been great, but those days are few and far between. I just want to reach men and I want to, I want to get better by helping others. And I want those people to, to, to radiate stuff back to me that makes me think about things differently so that I can improve, you know, absolutely. And I think that if we can get a community going where, where we're all kind of working to lift each other up, like that's going to be awesome. And when we're doing it with each other, we're, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're away from restrictions and rules and the government, and we can really make ourselves better um, in, in a way that we know, and are are confident in and that's 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 what i want to do in in my uh you know in my coaching because i know that i struggled and i just hope that when i was listening to you tell your story on the on the podcast that you know i was like man if this if this reaches even one person one person and it makes them pull the car over and rethink what they're doing and then that sets off a change in their life something amazing will have happened by virtue of you starting this podcast and sure. that is flipping. I mean, that is amazing. Yeah. And I want to be a part of that. And I I, I want to watch it. I want to support it however I can. Well, you're doing that by being on here, man. And, and thank you so much for that, too. And I think the one people that get forgotten um, a lot in this, too, are the Al-Anon people. Uh, my first guest was from the Al-Anon side of it. Uh, friends and family of alcoholics, you know, they suffer. They're suffering, too. And there's a lot of things that they don't understand, you know, um, like we mentioned earlier, you know, why can't they do it for me? Why can't they do it for the kids? Well, to hear it from other people, to realize that their person is not an anomaly. And I know as, as an alcoholic, I feel like an anomaly, like I'm the only one that's ever experienced this and that's not true. Um, and, and to be able to show, you know, uh, you know, that connection that your someone is acting this certain way, but it's the disease you know, it. they want to quit. They, when they say they want to quit, I mean, I've quit 10,000 times since I started drinking. <laughs> you know, it's just this one is the one that seems to be sticky. So I, I think this this needs to be out there for the people uh, that are struggling in the in the addiction. And it needs to be out here for the people that are around it. Um, I think they're just as important as anybody else. And I got something I'll talk to you when we close out here um, that. I kind of started it's, it's I haven't pushed it at all, but something we'll talk about afterwards. So, okay. Uh, final thoughts. No, that's it. I mean, I'm just grateful for the opportunity. And if there's somebody who's listened all the way to the very end of this thing, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, first of all, uh, you know, thank you for, for visiting uh, and tuning into this conversation. I think conversations are, are great and when they're good and they're real, it's, they're even better. And, um, you know, to, to the guy, to the woman out there who's struggling, you know, there's, there's great stuff on the other side of this. And it's, I, I would hope that I can, that I can speak for the lion's share of people who aren't, aren't using anymore, who would call themselves sober, that, that we really are pulling for you. And that is our desire that you find what you're looking for, but we can't, I can't force it on you, you know? But I can, but I am here for you and I want to encourage you as best I can. And if the only direction that we ever have is just you hearing this podcast and hearing me and Scott talk right now, you know, just I, I wish you well. And I mean that I want you to find a way to get out of that dark place, you know, whether it's reading a book, whether it's going to a meeting, whether it's calling a friend, but just however it is that you're going to get your stuff pointed in in the direction that you really want to go do it. You know, we get one shot at this and, um, and I like the way that I live and I would choose this a million times yeah. over the way that I did live. Yep. It, it is worth it. You are worth it. There is hope. It, it, it might seem insurmountable, but you're looking at 10 years of sobriety right here. Um, a very happy dude. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm heading that direction and I've never been, this happy. So 
there is hope. It'll get there, man. We're so, all going the same speed, man. Hell yeah. One day at a time. <laughs> hell yeah. Well, uh, Rich, thank you so much, man. This was awesome. I, I knew it was going to be awesome. Um, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know there are people be listening to the end because I, I feel like it was that good. So um, hope to see you again. Maybe we'll Absolutely. maybe 11 year 11. Maybe we'll come back and revisit see how things are going. I, I, I would love to. I really appreciate your uh, kindness and generosity, Scott. Thank you very much. Sure, man. All right. Take care, buddy.